And now we approach that time when the Lord speaks to us from his word and through the preaching of it. Let us please stand for the reading of God's word and also as we go to the Lord once again in prayer, asking him to bring us illumination. chapter uh, we will be reading from is Revelation chapter 4 as we continue in our series there. But first, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious God, we pray that as we come before your holy throne, that you would help us to hear the words of Christ who is seated at your right hand. And we pray, Lord, that by the Holy Spirit we might understand and that you would give us spiritual eyes to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and give us grace to live our lives in accordance with your word. We pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 4. We'll read the whole chapter. This is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Please give it your full attention. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold... A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, and full, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. In Revelation 4, 
John receives a new vision and is called by Christ to enter the open door to heaven. When John entered, he found himself in the heavenly temple and specifically within the Holy of Holies in the heavenly temple. Now, last Lord's Day, our attention was primarily on God seated upon his throne in the heavenly most holy place. Today, our focus will be more on what is taking place in heaven. And the simple explanation for that is worship. Worship is taking place in heaven. And so let's look at the different celestial beings that John sees in this heavenly worship service and then at the worship that they offer to God. Now, as we saw last week, God seated on his throne was the most central part of John's vision. And verse 4 tells us that around his throne were 24 elders. Now, who might these elders be and why are there 24 of them? Well, in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 7 through 19, David, King David, organized the priests into 24 classes or 24 divisions, with each division being led by a chief priest who ruled over that division. These chiefs were the fathers or the heads of each of those divisions. And so they were the oldest or the eldest of those 24 divisions. Hence, they were the elders over those divisions in the Old Testament. Now, David, together with those chiefs, those 24 chiefs in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, were in charge of selecting the musicians who were to play music at temple worship. And those musicians were also broken down into 24 divisions. And so this begins to explain to us who the 24 elders are here in Revelation chapter 4. They are celestial beings who serve as priests in heaven. And that is why they wear white garments, just as priests in the Old Testament wore white garments. It's also why in chapter 5 of Revelation they are playing harps and why they offer up incense to the Lord, which we are told symbolizes the prayers of the saints. Only priests in the Old Testament offered incense at the temple, and the priests were also the music leaders at temple worship. And so this is the primary role of the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4. They are heavenly priests, angelic priests, who offer God worship in the heavenly temple. However, there is more to their description and their role. As elders, they are rulers. That's what elders do. They rule over others. This is why they are seated on 24 thrones that surround God's throne. Not that God needs help ruling by any means, but they are given the privilege of sharing in the rule of God. In the Old Testament, elders were selected from among Israel in order to help Moses and and later 
uh, the, the kings of Israel, to help rule the kingdom. And the same function takes place similarly in heaven. Heaven is God's council chamber where he holds court. And this is seen most clearly, I think, in the Bible throughout the book of Job, where the angels present themselves before God. But also Psalm 82.1 speaks of God taking his place in the divine council. Even more pertinent to our purposes is Daniel chapter 7 verse 10 which says, A thousand thousands served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. And so that's a picture of the divine council. We actually see the same or at least a similar picture of it in the next chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11, which describes the living creatures, the elders, and the voice of many angels. It says myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, all worshiping before the throne of God. And so there are far more angels than just the 24 elders. But the 24 elders are the chief angels who not only lead in the worship of God, but share in the rule of God. Concerning the 24 elders, Meredith Klein says, Although the all-wise God needs no advisor, his heavenly court is sometimes presented after the pattern of human royalty. End quote. And so they rule alongside of God from heaven. But again, their primary function is to worship God. Now, some people want to point out that the church on earth has been represented by 12 men in the Old Testament, and twelve that, that is the 12 patriarchs making up the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 apostles in the New Testament. And so they say that the 24 elders are the heavenly counterpart to those men. And that might be the case. Uh, there is, uh, in fact, further evidence in Revelation that might suggest just this thing. But I'm more prone to the number 24 coming from the 24 divisions of priests in the Old Testament. Although... It's very possible that both symbolisms are intended here. Uh, both of these uh, together would constitute who make up the 24 elders in Revelation 4. Now, that's one set of worshipers, the 24 elders. The other set of worshipers in this vision are the four living creatures. But before we get to them, verse 5 speaks of the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And we have discussed this already in this series, and so I won't say much here. But the seven torches of fire are a reference to the seven-branched menorah, or the seven-branched lampstand, that was in the holy place of the temple in Israel. And as the risen Lord said in chapter 1 of Revelation, that menorah symbolizes, or represents, the church. What is being emphasized here now in Revelation chapter 4 is the seven flames upon that menorah, which are the seven spirits of God. And this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. 
There are not, of course, seven Holy Spirits. Seven is a symbol of perfection or fullness, really all throughout Scripture, but even here in the book of Revelation. And so this is simply a description of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, who is the flame that shines forth from the church. You might think about Acts chapter 1, where Jesus pours out his spirit as flaming lips of fire upon the church, or Acts chapter 2, you know, pouring out those flaming lips of fire upon the church, his, his lampstand church, the light shining forth from his church. And so that is uh, what the reference here is to the seven torches of fire. Now, last week we discussed the rumbling and peals of thunder and the sea of glass. And so we might move on at this point to the four living creatures. These, this other group of worshipers here in this new vision. These creatures have eyes all around Six wings and different faces that resemble some type of earthly animal. These four living creatures resemble the cherubim that Ezekiel sees in the visions of God's throne room in both Ezekiel chapters 1 and 10. Now, cherubim were guardians of the sacred places of God. In the ancient Near East... Kings often had statues of winged lions or winged bulls in their throne rooms that were seen as guardians of the king and of his palace. And we could call those pagan knockoffs of the Lord's cherubim. That's what they are. A perverted version of what we find truly with the God Yahweh. True statues of the cherubim were found in the most holy place of the temple in Jerusalem. They were attached to either side of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God there in the temple. And this is why the Old Testament continually refers to God who sits enthroned between the cherubim. Now, two other self-standing cherubim statues made of gold were also in the most holy place of the temple, so a total of four. And in addition to this, cherubim were also woven onto the fabric of the curtains in the temple. And so these cherubim are always found near the throne room of God because they were guardians of the holiness of God and, and of his throne, of his Uh, Most holy place. And you might also remember that when Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden, the garden sanctuary of God, not statues, but actual cherubim were stationed there to guard it, to guard the entrance to it so that sinful man could not re-enter and draw near to God who is holy. So they were guardians, guardians of uh, the holy places of God. Now, because these four living creatures are always near God's throne, they are the initial beings that man comes into contact with when he draws near to God. And for this reason, these creatures will image God. God has made them to image certain attributes 
of himself. And the only way that God's attributes can be symbolized to mortal man is if they're creaturely symbols. We cannot fully comprehend God who is spirit and who is incomprehensible. Therefore, God uses creaturely symbols so that we might grasp him in some way. And so each of these living creatures have the face of an earthly animal, a lion, an ox, a man, and a bird. And each of these animals is the head of its species, we might say. The lion, for example, is the most majestic of all the wild animals. It's the king, king of the jungle, right? The ox is the strongest of all domesticated animals. Man is the wisest of all of God's creatures. And the eagle is the highest soaring of all the birds. And so the four living creatures image God's majestic royalty, his strength, his wisdom, and his loftiness. And their eyes all around on these four living creatures also image one of God's attributes, namely his omniscience, his being all-knowing. Or otherwise spoken of as as being all-seeing. He sees all things. He knows all things. And that the living creatures possess such a multitude of eyes signifies that they are able to perfectly keep guard of God's throne room. And it also signifies that they are agents of God who are able to go to and fro throughout the world wherever God sends. This is significant. Uh, Because throughout the Old Testament, the cherubim transport God on a chariot cloud. This is most clearly seen in Ezekiel's vision where God is being transported by a cloud. And in the midst of the clouds were the cherubim-like creatures, which are described as having wings, but also having wheels like a chariot. Psalm 18.10, for example, says, He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. Also, Psalm 104, verse 3 says, He makes the cloud his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. It's referring to the cherubim who transport God in this cloud-like chariot. And this last feature is also why the the four living creatures are associated with the four winds of heaven in the book of Revelation and throughout Scripture. Now, these four living creatures are agents of God who carry out His will. In fact, it is the four living creatures who will execute the judgments that come in the following chapters. But their primary function is to worship God. Verse 8 says that day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Very much like the the seraphim around God's throne. In Isaiah chapter 6, these living creatures sing what is known as the Kedushah in Hebrew. It was sung in both temple and synagogue worship services. That word simply means holy. It was also sung in the worship of the early church. And in Greek, it's known as the Trisagion, which means thrice holy. Uh, In Latin, it's called the Sanctus, which means holy. And these cherubim never cease from singing this. They never cease to sing or chant that, uh, sing this, uh, these words and, and, and proclaiming God to be holy as they worship him in heaven. Verse 8 tells us that this is a matter of giving glory and honor and thanks to God who sits on the throne. And as the cherubim praise God on the throne, the elders follow suit by falling down and casting their crowns before him. You see, they are rulers, but they worship him by demonstrating that there is no higher rule than God's. And that their rule is given to them by him. And so they cry out, worthy are you, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and praise. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's quite a picture, I think, of the worship going on in heaven. And John is certainly witnessing a worship service. He has this new vision, and as he enters the open door, he enters into a worship service in heaven. And that's a never-ending worship service. As we witness from the cherubim, they never cease in their verbal praise of God. They constantly worship God who sits enthroned above the cherubim, who sits enthroned over all of creation. Now, in chapter 5, we have an example of the 24 elders, and this is important, connecting the worship of God in heaven with the worship of God that is taking place on earth. Those 24 elders offer up incense to God, which John tells us are the prayers of the saints. There's the connection. They're worshiping God and bringing forth our prayers to him in their own worship of God in heaven. There's the link between our worship and the worship in heaven. And to expand on this point, We have greatly discussed, really, over the last few years, how our Lord's Day worship, our Lord's Day worship services in the New Covenant are not worship services that take place at some holy place on earth, but which take place in heaven. We made reference to this quite a bit in the Leviticus series, but we have largely looked at it from 
the book of Hebrews, and especially Hebrews 12, where the author contrasts the experience of Israel, who worshipped God at Mount Sinai, with the worship of believers in the New Covenant. In referencing the latter, he says, But you, you who are in the New Covenant, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We've also discussed this from the fourth chapter of John, where Jesus tells the woman at the well that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Like the author of Hebrews, you see, Jesus is contrasting old covenant worship with new covenant worship. And he tells them that with his coming, a new hour of worship has arrived. Where people will no longer argue about meeting at this or that holy place on earth. But will worship in spirit and truth. Which means our worship will be in the realm of the spirit. Namely, our worship will take place in heaven which is the realm of the Spirit. That's where our worship, beloved, takes place in the New Covenant, in heaven. In the Old Covenant, worship took place at the tabernacle and later at the temple because God made an abode on earth inside those sanctuaries. I mean, what was the tabernacle? What was the temple? They were copies of the heavenly temple. That's why God told Moses in Exodus 25 that he was to make the tabernacle and all its furnishings after the pattern that he was shown on the mountain. God showed him the heavenly tabernacle on the mountain. And after that pattern, he was to construct the tabernacle. That's why, as we have described what John sees in this fourth chapter of Revelation, what he sees in the heavenly tabernacle, what have we continued to do to explain what he's seeing? We keep going back to the Old Testament. Because it's there that we find the earthly copy of heavenly worship. We have looked at the lampstand in in, in the tabernacle or in the temple, which was patterned after the heavenly Menorah, the heavenly lampstand. We've looked at the cherubim statues that were laden with gold in the most holy place and woven onto the curtains of the temple. These were patterned after the cherubim in the heavenly tabernacle. We've looked at the 24 divisions of priests leading worship at the earthly temple in the Old Testament. They were patterned after the 24 priestly elders in heaven. Last week, we even looked at the heavenly sea of glass, And even this had an earthly copy. 
For there was a bronze basin at the temple filled with water, which was called a sea in 2 Chronicles 4.6. It was patterned after the heavenly sea. Now the point that I want to make here is that in the Old Testament, God's people worshipped at copies of the heavenly temple. Copies that were patterned after the true reality in heaven. But what Jesus and the author of Hebrews wants us to know is that the hour has now come when worshipers will no longer worship at temples built upon this or that mountain, nor in Jerusalem. Those were the copies patterned after heaven. No, now we worship in the true reality, which is in the realm of the spirit. We worship, therefore, in spirit and truth. In the realm of the spirit and the true reality, not the copy. And this is why John tells us in this new vision that he saw a door opened in heaven. And Christ tells him to enter through that door and immediately What does he say? I was in the spirit. He's in the realm of the spirit. That is, he is in the heavenly temple. That's where, beloved, our worship takes place today. Not at some earthly copy, but in heaven, in the presence of God who sits enthroned above the cherubim. Who never ceases to speak of the holiness of God and where the 24 elders bow before God and praise him for his glory and his honor and his power. That, beloved, is the worship that we join with every Lord's Day. Now, we don't see that with our eyes. The Apostle John would not have been able to see it either, apart from the vision that God gave him. But he was worshiping in the Spirit, in the realm of the Spirit, on the Lord's Day, and the Lord opened his eyes to that reality in a vision. Now, I understand that this concept might be a little confusing, a little mysterious. Because you might be saying to yourselves, well, I'm not in heaven. I'm right here at 7801 Southwest 34th Avenue. And that's true. But we are nevertheless worshiping God in the realm of the spirit. In the heavenly tabernacle. That's mysterious to us. And I suppose if God gave us a vision. As he did John. Then we could see it as well. But we don't have to see it. With our physical eyes beloved. To believe it. Right now we walk by faith. And not by sight. With the eyes of faith. We can spiritually see. That our worship. Is In heaven. Someday. That is at the resurrection. We will see it by sight. But for now we must only walk. In belief of this truth. Now beloved this might not be the easiest concept to grasp. But it is a simple truth. That we ought to know. The worship of the Protestant tradition was founded upon this basic truth. 
Worship is one of the reforms that the reformers wanted to bring to the church of Rome. The Roman Catholic Church still, at that time, and even today, wanted to worship with copies and patterns of the heavenly reality, with with earthly priests and incense and offering up the sacrifices of the Mass during the Eucharist and so forth. The reformers rejected those forms of worship and simplified their worship. Beloved, we should know where our tradition of worship comes from and where it is found in Scripture. Where does Scripture teach it? And one of those places is right here in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Now the OPC's book of church order, based upon the same understanding of Scripture as the Reformers had, says this. By the Spirit of the exalted Christ, God draws near to His people and they draw near to their God. They come by grace to Mount Zion. The heavenly Jerusalem, joining innumerable angels and all the people of God in joyous and reverent communion with him. That's where we are. That's where we're worshiping. And if this is true, and it is, then it's something that we should be aware of as we worship. We should also be aware of it because we sing about these realities in many of our hymns. And we should know what we're singing about as we sing those things to God. Think about the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. What's happening there? Heaven and earth are joining together in the worship of God. There are not two worship services going on, one in heaven and one on earth. No, we are joining in with the never-ceasing worship of heaven. One worship service. What about joy to the world? It says, let heaven and nature sing. What is that? It's telling us that both realms should join together in the worship of God. The heavenly or the spiritual realm and the earthly or the natural realm are joining together in worship, which happens every Lord's Day as the church gathers for worship. Beloved John, in his visions, was able to see that heavenly worship take place. Like John The shepherds, keeping watch by night at the birth of Christ, were also able to witness this heavenly worship when an angel appeared to them and announced the birth of Christ. And suddenly, it says, there were with them the angel, suddenly with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, he peeled back that expanse, the crystal sea, and they could see the worship. In heaven. They were able to see the invisible realm. The realm of the spirit. Where the host of heaven worships God. Now here's the difference. Between the heavenly worship that the shepherds witnessed that night. And the heavenly worship that John witnessed. 
in his vision on the Lord's Day on the Isle of Patmos. The shepherds witnessed the host of heaven praising God at the birth of Christ. Whereas what John witnessed, as we will come to see in Revelation 5, was the host of heaven praising God at the coronation of Christ, who has sat down at the right hand of God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords who accomplished our redemption. A lamb standing as though he had been slain there in the midst of the throne. He had accomplished our redemption and John saw this in a vision. In chapter 5, he sees that throne and a lamb standing as though it had been slain and the four living creatures and the 24 elders all fall down and worship him. Why? Because he had been slain, but now he is alive and by his blood, they say, he ransomed for God a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And Peter says that these are things that angels long to look into. And they praise him for it. They praise him for our redemption. For the redemption he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. Beloved, if I could summarize the content of the worship of God in heaven that John sees in these two chapters. I would say that they worship God. The triune God because he is the creator and the preserver of all things. And because he has accomplished redemption for many peoples through the blood of the lamb. That's what the worship's all about. They worship him for who he is and what he has done. And those, beloved, who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ for this redemption, it is they, more than any other, who ought to worship the triune God as their creator, sustainer, and redeemer. And if you have trusted in Christ for the salvation of your sins, then that's where you worship on a weekly basis. And in fact, every time you go to the Lord in prayer, you come before his throne with boldness and confidence, and he hears you and you worship him there. And someday, beloved, someday, you will see that with your own eyes, with resurrected bodies, because Christ will come and raise you from the grave. And you'll be with him forever. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your majesty, for your glory, for your being far above all that you have created. And we thank you for what you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be better worshipers of you, more cognizant worshipers of you. We pray this in our worship services. On the Lord's Day, we pray this for our worship in our family times. But also we pray this even for our daily lives, that though we aren't gathered in corporate worship, we can still worship you by doing those works which are pleasing to you. Help us to be better worshipers 
of you. In Jesus' name, amen.